0: church come on yeah okay all right uh first corinthians chapter 6 12 through 20. all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but i will not be dominated by anything food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food and god will destroy both one and the other the body is not meant for sexual immorality but, and the lord for the body Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body.
1: Amen. Thank you, Tony. We are continuing in our series on unity in the church from the book of first Corinthians and I would ask you Andrea the monitors are gone so I I would ask you to think about that concept of unity in the church think about all the things that we have talked about and realize Paul is approaching this unity in the church and the problem of division in the church from in different ways we talked last week about a sinful situation of the church and church discipline we're talking this week about a problem with the church that they were going to court with each other because of their disagreements they were rather than settling their disagreements in the church within the church they were going to court now looking at chapter six You know, when you say you're going to preach through a book, that means you have to cover the whole book. You can't skip over chapters. Looking at chapter 6, it would have been very easy for me to turn that into three sermons, which would have admittedly been disjointed. But when I look at chapter 6, understanding that it was a letter and that there's supposed to be a flow of thought in chapter 6, I realize that it may seem that there are three sections to the chapter, but there's one purpose. And the purpose of chapter 6 is summed up in what Tony read to us. You're not your own. You're not your own. You can't live for yourself. You have to live to the glory of God. And so the the sermon this morning is our goal, God's glory, our goal, his glory. Now the thing is, if you're going to live with a goal of glorifying God in everything that you do, if that is your goal in life, there's some things that Paul mentioned to the church at Corinth that are very practical to us today, remembering our overall goal is to glorify God. First of all, if the church is going to glorify God, there has to be reconciliation in the church of God. Remember that in the church at Corinth, there were divisions in the church. There were cliques in the church. There was disagreement, there was division, there was arguing. And in this particular case, it was not just the division of I'm of Paul I'm of Cephas I'm of Christ, I'm of Apollos it it was that they had disagreements where one had perhaps stolen from another or had made a contract and did not keep the contract and that division had them going to law against each other which was a disgrace. If there's going to be reconciliation, we have to understand that part of the motivation for reconciliation is so that we do not disgrace God. Look, you can't glorify God if you're disgracing His name. The scripture says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church, I say this to your shame. You see, there were problems. There were disagreements in the church. They turned them into legal cases, and they went into secular court in order to try to solve those differences between, between them. We're not talking about criminal court, and we're not talking about criminal cases. We're talking about perhaps even petty grievances, and that is the indication from Paul. These were not life-changing events. Nobody was going to die over this. No one was really going to go hungry. They were demanding their rights. I demand my rights. You did me wrong, and I want vengeance. The problem with that is, it's an unscriptural principle, and he'll talk about that in a minute. But the problem with that is, it is a disgrace to the church. Last week, we talked about how it was disgraceful that this sin was going on in the church, and they were doing nothing about it. Now we're talking about another disgrace, a way the church is disgraced, when they had disagreements, and everybody in the community knew about it you know churches have reputations and the reputation of your church is tremendously important you know what determines the reputation of your church how you treat your church and what you say about your church I heard all my life about families who went home and had the preacher for dinner every week Now listen, they're not talking about the old-fashioned custom. People don't do that anymore. But they used to invite the preacher home for Sunday dinner. And they weren't talking about that. They were talking about running the preacher down, chewing him up and down with criticism. And when you do that, what idea and what concept, what thought, what reputation does your pastor have And does your church have? Now, I told my study group this morning, I'm enjoying that even a year down the road, we're still in the honeymoon phase in our relationship. And I pray that it continues a long time. But I'm not dumb enough to think that there's nobody who's dissatisfied or critical. If you are, bring it to me. Don't talk about it to someone else. If there's a disagreement in the church, don't spread it to the community. Let's talk about it here and let's solve it here. That's why I'm here. If I can be a mediator, an arbiter for you, if there's somebody else, he said, don't you have anybody wise enough in the church to help you to solve these issues? Listen, you can easily disgrace the church of the Lord Jesus Christ And if you disgrace the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are disgracing the Christ who died for the church. And our goal should be to live to the glory of God, not to be a disgrace. Not only must there be reconciliation to avoid disgrace, but there was a charge of disability, they were disabled. He said, and if the world is to be judged by you, by the way, you do, I, I'm sort of avoiding this because Tony, I don't have time to preach the whole thing. I mean, if I started talking about when Jesus comes and we rule and reign with Him and we judge the world with Him, even judging angels, that, that's a sermon for another day. But it talks about our ability as children of God to do this ourselves. If the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent? Oh, that's a hard word. Do you ever want anybody to say that about you? I certainly do not want anyone saying that about me. Are you incompetent? And he said, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? I said, these are not life or death matters. These are petty grievances grievances, grievances, that people are just trying to get vengeance and claim their rights. Don't you laugh at me. I tried four times to say that word. And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent? Oh, to try trivial cases, I say this to you, shame. Can it be that there is no one, no one, no one? wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers but brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers really are you really doing that it is a matter of disability you think you're not able to do it or maybe it's more i don't trust anyone i don't trust anyone trust god You know, living to the glory of God is a decision that you have to make. And you cannot make that decision if you do not trust Him. I will sacrifice and I will serve. I will take the risk because I believe God. I trust God. Let us not be Incompetent, disabled. The other word that's in that first series of verses is defeated. We do not need to be defeated. He says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Listen to me. Do you hear that principle? It's better to be defrauded, that is, to suffer loss, than to be defeated, that is, to dishonor God. Listen, by the way, this is a principle that Paul is introducing here in chapter 6, that he will continue through the rest of the book. It is a principle of giving up your rights in order to do the right thing. Giving up your rights to the, for the glory of God. The greatest loss is for God's church and God's people to fail to glorify Him. If we do not glorify God in everything we do, that is a defeat. We need to understand that. Our goal Our goal should always be His glory. The second thing that He talks about, I said there's three sections. The first is the reconciliation section. Be reconciled to the glory of God. The second section is the transformation section. Be transformed by the Spirit of God. Now, in those verses, God... Paul, by inspiration of God, reveals God's wrath on sin. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Or do you know that, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men men who practice homosexuality, Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I said last week, and I will repeat again this week, anyone is welcome to walk through our doors and come to our services. I said last week, and Walter liked it so much that that was the clip he put on Facebook, I said, nobody comes to Faith Baptist Church except sinners. We're all sinners. You're either a lost sinner because you have not come to faith in Jesus Christ or because you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're a saved sinner. But we're all sinners. And there is no one that is rejected at the door, whether they are sexually immoral, whether they're idolaters, our adulterers, our homosexuals, our thieves, our greedy people, our drunkards, revilers, our swindlers, they're all welcome. Maybe I should say you're all welcome. But we better understand that God is not content. He loves to have you come. We love to have such people come. But we must preach to them the unvarnished, the uncompromised Word of God. I want to make it clear that the most important thing that happens in this church any time we meet is the preaching of the Word of God. It is more popular today to preach about the love of God than it is to preach about the wrath of God. And God is love. But you better understand, God hates sin. Let me say that again, because I didn't get a single amen. God hates sin. He hates sin so much that when He put the sins of the world on Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, it was necessary for Him to stretch out His arms and die the sins of the world. That's how much God hates sin. And if you are sexually immoral. That includes both homosexuality and adultery. We have a tendency to to shake our fist at the homosexual. But we turn a blind eye to the adulterer. They're both sins that are hated by God. God condemns them both. All of these are a practice of life that is characteristic of an unbeliever. And anyone who is a believer who practices this makes us question whether they're a believer, whether they were ever really saved or not. Now, I can't say that. Only God can say that. But he said that we are to judge people, we are to know them by the fruit. That means their manner of life. Understand, it is for these sins that Jesus died. It may not be popular to preach about God's wrath on sin, but friend, it is absolutely necessary. Why? Because God has not changed His mind about sin and its wages. Friend, your only hope as a sinner. I said there's nobody here but sinners. I said last week if you're here and you're not a sinner, you're in the wrong place. Uh, That's a joke, you understand, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus is the only exception, and He is God. But understand, if you have never trusted Christ, you are still under the wrath of God. Every one of us can look at that list of sins and look at the Ten Commandments, and we know that we have been guilty of coming short of the glory of God And our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Praise God, there is transformation. He says, and such were some of you. Now, if you think I'm going too far and being too liberal by saying that it's okay for people like that. Take anybody in the list. If you think I'm going too far and being too liberal by saying we welcome them to our church to attend. I didn't say as a member. I said to attend. They are welcome here to hear the Word of God and to have their life changed. You see, God hates sin, but He loves the sinner. He loves you too much to leave you the way you came to Him. I love that song that we sing as an invitation, Just as I am, without one plea. Just as I am, I come to Thee. Some people have an idea they have to straighten their lives out before they can come to God and be saved. No, come as you are, understanding that God will not leave you as you are, He wants to change you. He wants to transform your life. By the way, our duty, our purpose, the reason we exist as Faith Baptist Church is to be life-changing. There should be transformation taking place in the lives of the people that come to our church. And if there is no change, if there is no transformation, We are not, as a church, glorifying God. We need God to work. We need the Spirit to move. We need people to repent. We need people to be saved, to be changed, to be transformed. He said, you were like that, but you're washed. Have you been washed in the blood of Jesus? We sang that song so many times in Swahili, I can hear it in my sleep in Swahili. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? There's something special about knowing. Listen, understand this. When you come to Jesus Christ in faith and you admit to Him that you're a sinner and that you cannot save yourself and you're trusting in Him, He washes you clean of your sins. Every sin you've ever committed of every sin you will commit he has to take care of them all in that instant in that moment and you are cleansed so that when he looks at you he sees a cleansed individual some would say that your sins are hidden under his blood and he sees the blood he sees that you're cleansed He knows that your sins have been forgiven, you've been cleansed, you've been washed. Not only that, but you've been sanctified. That word sanctified does not mean sinless. It means set apart. He has taken you and He has positionally put you in heaven already. Now that's a truth from Ephesians chapter chapter 1 where we are in heavenly places, in Jesus Christ. But let me just say to you that what happens the moment you're saved, you are counted as sanctified positionally. You'll spend the rest of your life trying to be sanctified practically, trying to live it out. But it is a position that you are granted immediately upon salvation. You are set apart from sin... You are sanctified. Not only that, but you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and get this, and by the Spirit of our God. Justified, what does that mean? It means counted righteous. I like, I I talk about Swahili because I spent 12 years of my life preaching and teaching in Swahili. The word justified does not occur in the Swahili Bible because there is no such word in Swahili. So Charles, they had to define it. To be counted righteous. I like that. To be counted righteous. God looks at you. He looks at your account. And he sees you've been counted righteous. You had none of your own. But in Jesus Christ, by the work of the Spirit of God you've been counted righteous. When he looks at you, he sees the Spirit of God indwelling in you, and through that indwelling Spirit, his righteousness has been imputed. That means counted to your account. It's just like going to the bank, and I have put money in your account. You may not know that it's there, but when the accountant looks at it, He sees the money in your account. And that's exactly what happens at salvation. God puts to your account His righteousness. And you've been justified. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. And you've been justified. Because Jesus took upon Himself the penalty of our sin. He died on the cross to pay that penalty and any sinner any sinner can come to him but he will not leave them as they are they will be transformed into a new creation if any man be in Christ he is a new creation our goal because of the washing because of the sanctification because of the justification, our goal is His glory. Our goal, His glory, transformation by the Spirit of God. That's the wrong slide. It should say a decision for it is not there. Somebody may have to read it off your your slide for me that's what happens when you cut and paste in the slide presentation it is a commitment to holiness a commitment to holiness now understand if we're going to make a decision for discipline to the glory of god there it is a commitment to discipline to the glory of god there we have to understand the law of freedom in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 12, all things are lawful for me. Now be careful here. What can you do once you've been saved to not be saved anymore? Nothing. There is nothing you have put your faith, you've put in Jesus Christ, you've put your soul in his hands, and there is nothing you can do to undo that. You've been born again by the Spirit of God, and you cannot become unborn. But be careful. Does that mean you can do anything and not be lost again? Yes. Does it mean you ought to? Heaven forbid. That's what Paul said. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, good grief, no. That's a one-word Greek word that has a lot of different translations. And the answer is good grief. No. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Not all all things will help you to grow. Not all things will be to the glory of God. Your goal should be the glory of God. All things are lawful, but get this, I will not be dominated by anything. Again, we could spend a lot of time today talking about Addiction, which is idolatry. We live in an addicted world. Everything around us pushes us to be addicted. Uh, You can even be addicted to the Razorbacks. It's a little easier today than it was last year to be addicted to the Razorbacks, but you can even be addicted to football. You can be addicted to food. You can be, uh, usually when women are present, I like to say, much to their displeasure, you can even be addicted to chocolate. (laughs) And Brenda would make me say, you can even be addicted to cookies. We live in an addicted world. Drug addiction, sex addiction, food addiction. We live in an addicted world. All things are lawful, But I will not be the slave. I will not bow down to anything. I will not be dominated. Oh, then he gets personal. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. For the Lord we are supposed to be living we are designed get this tweet this we were designed by god to live for his glory And any time we are dominated we spend our lives for something that does in no way glorify him we are missing the purpose for our lives we need a commitment to holiness we need to understand the law of freedom and we need a commitment to holiness first of all because we are members of Christ do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ shall i then take the member of the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute he is specifically dealing now if you wonder why he's talking so much about sexual immorality and about prostitution, it's because he's talking to Corinth. Corinth was a city of all kinds of idolatry, and this is weird. It just is. But a part of the idol worship in the temples in that day is there were temple prostitutes. That that just blows our minds. Well, or does it? Think about all the sex that's thrown our way in our culture today. Our bodies were not made for sexual immorality. Shall we join with a prostitute? Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. That. That's a verse about marriage, and I get to preach about marriage next week from chapter 7. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Listen, that is a plea for holiness. Living a holy life. Man, I don't hear much preaching about that anymore. Been a long time since I heard a preacher on the radio or TV quote the verse Be ye holy as I am holy if you're going to live to the glory of God you're going to have to make some decisions for holiness to live for the Lord we are members with Christ we're joined with him spiritually and we need to commit to holy living living listen because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit We need to be aware of the Spirit of God that lives within us to flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. I said again, you wonder, why is he talking about this? It's because it's Corinth. But if he came to our own particular little Peyton place, only the old people here will recognize that name, If if he comes to our own little pagan place, our only sinful country uh, part of the world, he'll have to deal with us concerning fornication and adultery. That is sex outside of mar- sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, and it's just as sinful today as it was then. It's still sin. Not popular preaching, but it's still sin. Do you not know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The Spirit of God moved in you when you trusted Jesus Christ, and we need to live, and we need to make our decisions recognizing that God lives within us. That makes our body a temple of the Spirit of God. A temple of God. And in fact we belong to God. We commit to holiness. Because we belong to Him. You're not your own. You're not your own. I demand my rights. I will do what I want to do. How many teenagers have said that to their parents. Before they ever leave home. I will do what I want to do you're going to be in real trouble real quick do I need to say that again? I thought every parent here would say amen you're going to be in real trouble real quick if your philosophy in life is I will do what I want to do grandpa you will be in trouble too if your attitude is not just teenagers it's me I will be in real trouble real quick If I do everything I want to do. What I need to do is recognize that I belong to God. And live for the glory of God. By doing what He wants me to do. Jesus purchased us by His blood. And we belong to Him. You're not your own. You belong to Jesus. From now on. We need to make this decision and we need to make this commitment, recognizing that yes, we've got freedom, but not everything's good for us and not everything glorifies Him. And I will live to the glory of God. Our goal is His glory. What is it? that is foremost in your life what is the most important thing for you are you living have you made God put God in first place in your life and are you living for him making your decisions based on what he wants making your decisions on whether or not it will glorify him have you given your life, have you given your heart to Jesus? Live to the glory of God. And if I said, if you, you said, I'm going to do what God wants, you, wants me to do, what is that? What is God asking you to do right now in this service, in this moment, and then tomorrow, and the next day, and the next, and the next What is it that God's asking of you? Will you make that decision for Him? Will you make that commitment to Him? There are people in the service who need to come to Christ and be saved. This is the time. This invitation is the time when you can do that. You can come. I'll be glad to counsel with you, to pray with you, to lead you to Christ. There are some who need to follow the Lord in baptism. There are some who need to join this church. Some of you probably need to kneel before God today and say, Lord, I've not lived for you. I've been selfish. I've done what I wanted to do and not what you wanted me to do. And I'm sorry. And I will change. I will give my life to you.